Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Perception, I think, are, I mean, this is where experimental psychology starts, right? Is the idea of how information gets into the system. So, you're going to catch a ball, you're going to see it coming. Um, or, for example, if you're going to read something that's pretty cognitively uh, complex operation, you still have to detect the pattern of light. So, the question is how does the external get internalized? How does the external so the external world get internalized? Because remember, while this is a pretty good, our, our, our sensations and therefore our perceptions are pretty damn good approximations of reality, they are, we don't sense and perceive everything. And sensation is getting information and perception is organizing it. So we're trying to take the external and internalize it. That's basically the, the notion Record button. Yeah, I'm gonna stop doing that now because everybody here's boom, boom, in their headphones. Um, we talk about bottom-up versus top-down processing. Uh, sensation is bottom-up processing. This is a way to, to, to uh, distinguish the two. Sensations from the bottom-up. In other words, it's just information going in. Top-down perception. That's organizing sensation. Okay. That's the difference. That's the difference. And you, you would know this from interest. And they are different things. Where does sensation and perception begin? That's a gray area. Where does learning begin and and memory begin? That's a gray area. Same kind of thing. But they are two different things. Right? Detecting an object and knowing what the object is, we can call that perception. The pattern of light hitting your retina, we can call that sensation. Okay? Again, in the middle, it gets a little confusing as to what is what. And actually, I don't think classifying it's something we should even just be concerned about. Um, some very basic threshold, uh, sorry, uh, principles. The idea of thresholds. Um, some things we sense and others we don't. Right? Because there is a whole world, a whole world of energy, and that's not, I'm not talking about cheese and chakras. I'm talking about actual energy, you know, stuff that exists. Um, and it's out there, we don't sense it. It's there, though. You know? So there are things we don't sense that, you know, you think of sounds. Um, There's the quietest stimulus you can detect. That's called your absolute threshold. Or the dimmest light you can detect. That's your absolute threshold. <coughs> Faintest touch you can detect. That's your absolute threshold. And that's going to be roughly the same for everybody of any species. This could also be, for example, with, with human hearing the lowest uh, frequency you can hear, which is about 20 hertz. 
put a 20 points. So if you were, if you could move your hand back and forth 20 times a second, which you can't. But if you could, even if you're Bruce Lee, you can't do that. You would hear a very low rumble. It's the lowest sound you can detect. Interestingly, and then this changes species to species. Elephants can hear at about three hertz. So an elephant, to get its attention, you just do this. They can hear you. They can actually hear that. Elephants, in fact, communicate, it seems, through infrasound. They communicate with super low frequencies. Because the cool thing about infrasound is it travels uh, omnidirectionally. This is why you can put a subwoofer anywhere in your room, because it's, it's these really low sounds. And it travels exceedingly long distances. Again, this is why you can put a subwoofer anywhere in your room. It doesn't matter where you put if you're setting up a surround sound system, you can put the sub anywhere. It doesn't matter. Wherever it's out of the way and no one can see it. Unless you're the kind of person like, yeah, I want people to see how many speakers I have. You grow out of that. No, not everybody. Most people do. My dad didn't grow out of that. He had two Marshall stacks, two amps in his living room, tastefully decorated living room, and eight guitars, because my mother is a saint. Then there are different thresholds, um, or, or JNDs. I love this term. It's a just noticeable difference. What's the difference between... Now, I like thinking of this with weight. It's my favorite example to use. So, if you have... I don't know, 100 grams and 110 gram weight. Guarantee you nobody here can tell the difference. Guarantee. 100 grams and 1100 grams, or and 200 grams, you could probably do that. 100 and 150, you could probably do that. Sure. But if you can't do the difference between 100 and 110, that means you can't do the difference between 1,000 and 1,100. Because it, the, 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 the amount it differs, this J and D, is a proportion. It is not a constant. It's a constant proportion. That's called Weber's law. In sort of biological, behavioral sciences, we don't have a lot of things we call laws. When something's a law, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff that's like physics. This is psychophysics, it's called. This was the first area, as I said, of experimental psychology. Wundt did this work, and he actually did it. Some of the stuff he did was with... Uh, brass spheres, and he had people hold them, and he would say, you know, which one is heavier? The instruments are great. Brass instrument psychology, if you ever get to go to the University of Toronto, or the psych department, and they have a whole little display, almost like a museum, because one of the, the first, the first, I think, experimental psychology lab in North America was at U of T in 1890. And they have all the old gear. It's all white glass, of course, but it's really cool to see. And when you go to school there, like I went to UT for grad school, it makes you think you're special when you're really not. This is true of all, for all uh, sensations. This could be it's also for weight, but also for, for brightness of light, for uh, sound uh, frequency, for, for, for loudness of sounds, for uh, everything. It's also true for detecting passage of time. So if you ask people to say, uh, tell me when 10 seconds is up. And then tell me when 11 seconds is up. 
Tell me when 15 seconds is up. Whatever. And of course, they can't, you can't have them counting or anything. Uh, it also follows Weber's law. Spatial cognition follows Weber's law. How far away is that object? As long as they aren't reaching for it. When you get people doing reaching tasks, it's a big problem because you get a, really, you get a whole lot of kinesthetic cues from how far your arms moved. But if you just say which of these objects is further, is further away and detecting the differences, again, it follows Weber's law. And this is true not just in people, by the way, this is true in everything. That's kind of, this, is a, this is a universal law of perception and sensation. One of the things I know when we do animal timing work, one of the, one of the things we do is we, to make sure that we've done it properly, is we make sure the animals are responding via Weber's law. Because if they're not, we're not detecting just the timing system, we've got something else in there. Okay. Right, questions about that? Now, let's think about sensory adaptation. This is when you get used to something. Now, evolutionarily, this makes a great deal of sense. Those of you guys who were in my learning class, we talked about habituation yesterday. It makes a lot of evolutionary sense to get used to, habitu to, to habituate to something. This is somewhat different. This is getting used to constant stimulation that's, that's the same. The sound of the fan and the projector, which you now all notice because I just mentioned it before you had it. Because it's just there. And it has no effect on you, one way or the other. So you, you basically what happens is your system is set up to start to ignore that. And in fact, that works such that, you know, neurons, they either fire or they don't, right? Very basic neuroscience. Neurons are just, it's the all or none law. You're firing or not firing. Well, if you keep stimulating the same neurons over and over and over again, what you would be doing with the same stimulus in the same place, eventually, literally, you don't respond to it because you actually aren't hearing it anymore. You actually aren't seeing it anymore. You actually aren't feeling it anymore. If you think about this, and you can, you can try this, but you don't have to, you can just little thought experiment. Anybody here notice that they're wearing shoes before I just mentioned that? No, right? Because you've been moving your feet a lot. Basically, your touch receptors, uh, in, like the pressure receptors in your, in your feet, have, they, they are firing. Now, as soon as I mentioned it, you probably moved a little, moved a little tiny bit, and then suddenly everything changes and you notice your shoes again. This makes a great deal of sense and this happens with all of our senses, including things like our chemical sense, so you can get used to smells, right? I've mentioned many times about how everybody else's house smells and yours doesn't. Right? Everybody else's house has a funny smell, right? Uh, Ken Herndon, the university librarian, a good buddy of mine, and he says, I love coming to your house because it always smells like you've just cooked meat. I say, well, it's usually because I've just cooked meat. <laughs> it's the way we live. But I notice it now, I walk into my mom's place, and it just smells like potpourri, because she's a grandma, and it actually has to. That's the law. <laughs> All grandmas do that. In fact, if you can stop your eyes from moving, which you can't, everything fades to gray. <coughs> which I believe is an old song by Ultravox, 80s synth pop band, fade to gray. Um, so, it doesn't matter, none of you were born then. But 
You can't really do this because those little saccadic eye movements, those tiny eye movements, they're actually there to make sure it doesn't all fade gray. How would you make this happen? Well, the reason why you do it, and this is if you cover your eyes and get completely equal stimulation all over your eyes. So you can do it with um, ping pong balls. You need to be very careful doing this. If you cut a ping pong ball in half, it's going to be sharp. You can cut your eye socket. I really don't want you doing that. But it can be done. One of the ways, in fact, if you can get a hold of those um, little uh, goggles they give you when you go to a tanning salon, because I, I, I know you all hang out at tanning salons. You should have cigarettes in those places, too. It's probably, it's probably safer than tanning. Um, If there were tanning salons in the 60s, they would have handed out cigarettes. And they, they give you those little sort of goggles that go on, and they actually, they're like ping pong balls, except they fit over your eyeball better. Now, the, the two things that have to happen, you have to get, that's of course to protect you from the deadly ultraviolet radiation they're going to put all over you. Anyway, um, if you can get a hold of a pair of those, and get into a room, this is a bad one because there's plenty of angles in that, but you can get in a room with three constant light conditions, put those on, Within about five seconds, everything goes and fades the gray. Because you're getting exactly the same stimulation all over your body. We used to have these things when I was a, a student at, at, at Western. We'd be having them lying around in lab course. And it didn't work for everyone. And it was one of these cases where, again, the lighting of the room, but you know, it would happen to be on a person, they'd just go, ah! And then they'd take them off, because apparently, it didn't ever work for me, but it's apparently my eyes were constantly moving as part of the problem. It's a really disturbing experience to suddenly, it doesn't go black, it just goes gray. Like you're getting no input. It's like the beginning of HBO. <laughs> and then the True Detective starts. Oh, if you watch that show, holy Christmas, that's a TV show. <laughs> Oh yeah, I started watching that just the other day. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. Got the uh, got the uh, got the movie network though, so I got the uh, app. Get the app on the uh, Xbox. He said, "Shit, it's the slowest thing ever." Almost drove me to pirate it. Um, <laughs> and then, then I actually emailed them, and they, they said, "We didn't tell me to fix it. Now it works." Nobody ever complained apparently before, except for me. Uh, it's amazing. Man, what a show. Oh, it's like reading a Faulkner novel, right? You ever read Blue Faulkner? Disturbing Southern Gothic stuff? Anyway, I suggest you all watch that show. Why was I talking? I don't know why I was talking about it. It doesn't really matter. That's, that's today's TV recommendation. Keep that in mind. Um, like I said, everybody else is having smells funny in your system. So, this is something you really notice. The first time you notice this is when you go away to university, if you've gone away to school, and you come back at Thanksgiving. Right, and you walk back. You walk in your house, and it smells like fish and cigars. <laughs> All right, you know they like seafood, and Dad smoked cigars. I just was used to it before. And it can even happen. It can be enough. It can be disconcerting enough that even when you're asleep, changing the conditions will wake you, including turning a light off for someone who's fallen asleep. Right? You've done that. You go, oh, what are you doing? I was awake. 
<laughs> or, you know, just the all-time favorite, your dad falls asleep on the couch and you left TV on and you turn the TV off. I was watching that! <laughs> right? Which is an amazing thing, because I don't know why dad wants, you know, I'm a dad, we have to control the clicker. It's, a, it's Again, this is evolutionarily important. Who's controlling the clicker? Uh, you know, uh, really dad, you're watching Blue's Clues? It seems unlikely to me. You're watching the women's championship of Hurling from Ireland? It's not even a championship game, it's a county game. You know, it's TSN 9. So even in that case, it, it, because the stimulation change can wake, it can wake you up, which is kind of neat. And again, that makes a lot of evolutionary sense, right? When everything's the same, why wake up? If something changes, it could be a saber-toothed tiger. <coughs> right, so this is some very general ideas about sensation. Yeah, saber-toothed tigers, they were. <laughs> They were. They, they, we, we did live with saber, we didn't live with dinosaurs, but we did live with saber-toothed tigers. They were saber-toothed cats were around. You know what those um the saber teeth, by the way, which were long, hey, they were this long. They had one function, and that was to break the neck of the prey. Um, how do we know this? Well, we know this by making models of the jaw of a saber-toothed cat, because our saber-toothed cats were more. And then cutting it to basically, like you see on uh, what's that show? Does this warrior? You know, with the jump, who's firing guns and doing stuff like that. And if you look at what they prey upon, really big animals like mammoths, things like that. If they, with those jaws, the way they work, because they, 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 they can't tear equally. All they do is they just snap a neck. So, see, these were scary animals. It's good they're gone. I'm all for extinction animals like that. On the other hand, bring back the mammoth. I want hordes of them roaming everywhere. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. Or it's going to lead to a Jurassic Park type scenario. One or the other, but either way, kind of cool. Okay, so let's talk about some specific senses. Um, so with vision, we're converting... Um, well, like anything with one neural message to another, uh, to, to, to neural message, sorry, one kind of uh, energy to another. In this case, we're converting light into neural messages, right? Which, of course, you know. Um, light's just a form of radiation in the electromagnetic spectrum. So any kind of, and it's funny, I'm sure you guys all know this because you're sort of science students, right? This is one of those things when you tell people that in intro psych, they go, radiation? Yeah, light's just radiation, idiot. You know, so... It's also true with X-rays, microwaves, cosmic rays, which always sound great. Sound like they're made up, but they're real. Um, most, some of this stuff is completely harmless. Won't give you cancer, but <laughs> the radiation will. So we've all seen this diagram or one like it when we were in elementary school. The electromagnetic spectrum. Look at how big it is compared to what we can see. Right, you got extremely low frequency radio, which is something that um, unless does anybody here work on a nuclear submarine? No one. You've never used extremely low frequency radio. Uh, basic radio waves, AM. Are there still AM radio stations? I don't know. Isn't that replaced by podcasts now? Basically, are there still FM radio stations? I don't know. Um, there's that CBC thing where I listen to the news in the morning. Go ahead. 
they're all the same. You know, it's all three guys in the morning zoo, right? right? Or if you drive to the states, it's religious people yelling at you and rushing them off. Radio's horrible. Radio's dead. Um, better's TV. TV's moved a little bit actually. Um, it's moved over about to here, but uh, that's standard definition TV. Like we get here because we don't matter. Uh, so for CBC, we get we get CBC. Sorry, uh, let me get over the air. Uh, Channel 11 from Hamilton and uh, what was that one? CTV. Global is the one that's moved over here. And if you, and if you live in the right part of town, you get the American digital channel transmissions. It's uh, a little bit different. Microwaves. Yes, the microwave oven right near your TV. Also, your Wi-Fi router is right around here. And your phone, uh, not your cell phone, but your, uh, if you have a cordless phone at home, same area, okay? between 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. So microwave oven, it's right around here. Uh, also, apparently this is where guys live that look through hot dogs, but it looks like <laughs> when it's a very big cigar he's holding, perhaps. Uh, infrared light is heat. Okay. Then there's what we see, Roy G. Biv, red, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and go violet. Then there's uh, ultraviolet, which is uh, from the you got a course of the sun. And uh, it's where the sexy ladies hang out. <laughs> you get the x-rays. X-rays go through bones, dude. They go through, well, not through bones. They get stopped by bones, but they, they, you know, they the most important. And then we got gamma rays and cosmic rays. This side, basically, is the, that's the scary side, by the way. That's the side, actually, that came if you can. So it's ionizing radiation. You can screw with the with, 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 with lines. This side doesn't. You can't be hurt by this. If you could, we would all have died a long time ago. Right? That stuff's all around us. Now, you're saying, well, what about microwaves? Yeah, if I put a person in a giant microwave oven, I could cook them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if I lit you on fire, uh -huh, that's bad. <laughs> right? But it's not going to give you cancer. Right? Also, microwave ovens don't do anything to make nutritional value of food. Anybody that says that, just throat punch. <laughs> that, that, that really is probably the best approach. <laughs> Ask them how, and then when they furrow their brow in, a, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to understand anything, that's that's and they're confused. That's, that's so you know this, right? So there's this big broad range. Um, so the wavelength of the light determines the hue, uh, and you probably know that light is particle and the wave. The intensity determines the brightness. That's the number of packets of light that are hitting your eye. Uh, the light goes through the eye, or enters the eye, sorry, to the cornea, which is the cover on the outside. Uh, the pupil size is regulated by the iris, which is the colored bits. Uh, then behind the pupil, there's a lens, which accommodates, which is, this is all very similar so far to a camera. Uh, the difference here is we change the focal length with a camera by, by moving the lens. With our eyes, we, we change the shape. Right? The only, it's really the only other way we could do it. Well, the other way we could do it is we could have like cartoon guy eyes and they go <laughs> when they saw something they liked, so you don't want that. 
That'd be weird. It's the retina, and of course the image is upside down. Um, doesn't matter. It gets right in by your brain. No, it isn't. Good. Right, remember doing this in school? In physics? You always have a little candle you drew. And then you have a lens. And that's the shape of our lens. And because of that, the light goes. Remember doing this? Except it wouldn't be fatter like that, you could say. Do they still, they still do optics and physics in high school, I hope? Do they teach you anything anymore? What do you do in school now? I, like, I, I know I ask this all the time. I sound like an old guy, which I am. I just don't think they really teach it. Well, here's how to search for that on Google. Except schools are outdated, so this is here how to use Alta Vista. <laughs> Lycos. I don't want to get too much into this stuff. I just want to show you this. that Because it's going to... We're going to talk about... The eye itself is one of those things that people that think evolution isn't real, that's always the thing they talk about. They're always on about, well, how could an eye evolve? It would be magic. Okay, it is a complicated piece of gear. Right, here's the lens here, then you got the cornea on the outside. Um, the acuity of your eye is affected by the shape, or the acuity of the image, rather. Your nearsighted is your eye's too long. Right? That's why they call people that are nearsighted. Another name for them is old long eyes. No? No, it isn't. I made that up. Um, <laughs> or the cornea could be too curved. Um, so far away stuff blurry. Right? And typically, younger people that have glasses, they tend to be nearsighted. Right? Anybody here nearsighted? Anyone? Yeah. Class. It's a very common thing. It's a very common thing. Now, with wear and tear, um, and so the best image, by the way, for far away things is actually here, so the back is a little bit in front of the retina. Um, farsighted, it's the opposite. Now, that happens with age. People get farsighted. Um, what's happened here is, and it's usually a cornea problem, is it's flat, your eye flattens out. And then far away things, then close things are blurry and far away things are bad. And this is why you might see your mom or dad read paper like this. This is my dad playing trivial pursuit, right? You take, like, the, take the card and you go, What? Pope? You know, there's always questions about popes again. Okay, uh, that's not something we're going to go too much. The retina itself is pretty cool. Just because of the way it's set up, there's two kinds of receptors uh, in the retina, the rods and the cones. Um, rods are for uh, light differences, that's all, and brightness, okay? They're, they work in, but they work well in dim light. Cones are for the daytime, so they work well at night. Uh, cones are for the daytime and work with color. When a photon, which is a packet of light, a particle of light, and you said, Dave, you said it was a wave. I said, yes, it's a wave and it's a particle. It's quantum physics. Um, when it hits a receptor, it sends a message via the optic nerve to the brain. Now, the thing is, because of the way your eye is hooked up, we have a blind spot. Because drawing this is really difficult. I've never found a really good picture. But 
So if this is your retina, okay, um, and then you have at the back, eh, but here, let's just say it's in the middle. This is where the optic nerve sort of plugs in. So every receptor, all of them, so you get the idea. They're all going there. And the thing is, they're going like you know, inside. And then, then we have the optic nerve, okay? Make sense? The thing is, because you have all this in the way, this is in the way, you can't have photoreceptors here. Okay? So it's basically where the wire hooks in. I ask you this. If there was a designer, would he or she, or it, design a system where we don't see in the middle of our field of view? It seems exceedingly unlikely. I, I wouldn't. Why would you hook it up that way? Why would you design it that way? That to me is always one nice argument actually against the idea that there's a designer of, of the eye. Because the eye is always the one people trot out as, well, you couldn't, you couldn't, evolution couldn't do that. Whoa, it's making noises for All right. So the cones are for detail, fine detail, and color. Uh, the cones really only work in the light. This is why in the nighttime you don't see in color. It feels like you do, but you don't. Right? If you ever gotten dressed in the dark because you don't want to wake up the person sleeping beside you, and then you walk out of the room and go, I didn't think I had this T-shirt on. <laughs> right? Because all you see is brightness in, in the dark. Um, they're concentrated in the fovea. Sort of here. The middle. Fovea is a Latin word that means pit. So when you say foveal pit, you're saying pit pit. It is redundant. It's up there with synaptic gap. HIV virus. ATM machine. <laughs> and so many others. The rods are evenly distributed. Now the nice thing here is, so they're evenly distributed, but because of that, they don't have that concentration, so you don't have the good acuity in the dark. Right? Many rods are a one bipolar cell. So you can see uh, in dim light, but only in black and white. Okay, this is all well and good. And one cone goes to one bipolar cell. How's that work? So that's like, look. So there's a rod and a rod and a rod, and they hook up to one cell that does transmission, one bipolar cell. So now. On your retina, if a, if a photon of light's hitting here, we see it here. Or if it's hitting here or here, any of those three places, we see it in the same place. We're not going to have the detail. It's just about definition. Right? We don't have the pixels at night. And my cones actually are hooked up that way. My cones are hooked up that way. Are not hooked up that way. My, my cones, however, I don't have a phobia because of the problem with my vision. Um, so I, my acuity in the day is about the same as your acuity at night. That's another one, except I see in color sets. But that's maybe one way to look at it. We have about 130 million receptors per retina. 130 million, that might make you think we have 130 megapixel eyes, but actually, because of the way that the 
cones are concentrated in your, in your retina. We have something more akin to about a 650 megapixel. Well, you do, not me. Mine are about 130 megapixels. Yours are about probably 650 megapixels. And this is why, for example, Apple can talk about a retina display. Because they put the pixels, because there's no more pixels in a retina display. It isn't magic. You know, Steve Jobs dies. There's no more magic. Hold on. But with the retina, like this is retina, like this is iPhone 5's retina, um, you can't see where the pixels are because they're, until you get really close to it. And that's because at normal viewing distance, the, where the pixels are, they're more concentrated than how the cones uh, your phone are concentrated. Okay? That's how HDTV looks like there's no pixels there. If you go get close enough to an HDTV, um, you can't see you, you can see the pixels. Now those new 4K TVs probably not. What's that? No, the I don't understand the curved TV. No. No, the, the 4K ones, they're four times the resolution of regular TV. There's no 4K content, of course. But that's what happened with the original HDTV, so stuff will get broadcast in 4K. You can actually Netflix has 4K uh, streaming. You big Fat pipe for that. Okay, so let's think about this evolutionarily, right? Why are we only sensitive to visible light? Which sounds silly, except that why is that the spectrum we see? Functionally. Okay, why wouldn't we see UV light? Other animals see UV light. A lot of birds see UV. <laughs> Birds see the UV. Why? Right? Why wouldn't it be cool to see UV light? It's other light. Light's just information. It's you know, light is just different wavelengths of uh, of radiation being reflected or emitted sometimes by different objects. So we can distinguish objects. That's what it does. So it would be more information. Now there is one problem. UV light is affected by atmospheric conditions. Uh, both atmospheric pressure, uh, and it's also uh, affected by if the sky is overcast or not. So if you get the sun, it scatters differently depending upon, in essence, then the altitude. What do you think of CUV? Words. Why? Think about that evolution. It's, it's, it's so they can detect altitude. It's so they can have a heads-up display detecting their altitude. We don't need that. And evolution doesn't tend to, to build in extra stuff because it's cool. Right? It, it, would, it would confer no advantage to us. It would really confer no advantage to us. It would, however, be a disadvantage because metabolically it would be, more, it would be just something else you have to build and maintain. So it's not like it's impossible to detect UV. Many birds do. Many insects do. Some birds where we can't see the difference between the two sexes, the birds can because the males have a great big ultraviolet patch on their chest. We just can't see it. Look, but what's that look like? I don't know. It's a color we can't see. 
That's one of those questions you ask when you're high and you think about it for hours. <laughs> and there really isn't an answer because you have never seen you, you never will see it easy. We all this idea I think vaguely that it's sort of a light purple. I don't know why. Because it's ultraviolet and now. In fact, not a lot of ultraviolet radiation reaches the ground, especially when you, like in here, you wouldn't have, it's not a sunny day, there'd be hardly any UV here right now. Now, you're going to say, well, Dave, we didn't live in buildings like this back in the old days. Yeah, it's true. We lived on the ground, on plains, yeah, tall grasses. Again, it's not going to help us very much. Both ultraviolet and infrared radiation goes through walls. Right? And you know that if you've played any, played any of the uh, video games where you can turn on your, uh, your uh, infrared glasses. You know, you played a little bit of the Splinter Cell, Rainbow Six, any of those games you can see through the wall, and you can shoot the guy and didn't even know because he's just got his head there. Boom, headshot. Um, I guess that would be cool, but again, were there structures around when we evolved? No. It depends on body heat, infrared does. Um, what can see infrared? A lot of bugs. A lot of bugs. How do you think mosquitoes can find you in the middle of the night when it's dark and you're in like, well, here, right to your backyard? They can see you, because they can see heat. They can smell you too, but they can see heat. So it makes sense for some animals, not for others. What we can see, um, the light we can see has pretty cool properties. It's differentially reflected by different objects. I know, again, that's like, so you're saying different things have different colors? Yeah, but it allows us to, to detect different objects. And that's going to be the function of it, right? We're exceedingly visual animals, so this allows us to detect these different objects. Um, I think I'm going to, maybe I'll talk about this later, so I'll save that. Okay. Poorly designed, as I said. Why would you put in a blind spot? Why would you make only one bit of the retina really sensitive? Why not make the whole thing sensitive? Right? Why not make peripheral vision as good as straight-ahead vision? It's a poorly designed piece of gear. Would you install the retina backwards? Would you make the... Because your brain still has to use processing power to turn to write everything. Why not make the lens a different shape? Right? Because if we have the lens, and it was shaped, oh, my lens diagram's gone. But if it wasn't like this, just like that, just concave on one side, like your glasses would be, for example, it would be right side up. Why, don't, why, why, why did the designer do that? Would you install the retina backwards such that light goes down here and then back out to make that blind spot? So the question you have to ask yourself is, how would an eye evolve? So if you can say, 
yes, it can't be designed, the next question you have to ask yourself is how would vision of heaven evolve? Right? So because you, you can mock people all you want, and that's a lot of fun. But if you're going to try to win the argument, you want to also say to people, and here's how it could have happened. Do we know this? You can't know, but you can make some really good guesses. Um, well, I'll say one thing. Vision has evolved about 60 different times in the animal kingdom. So 60 different ways. There must be 60 ways to evolve vision. That's a song by Paul Simon. No, it's 50 ways to leave the love. But... So the important thing is here, this has happened a lot. So how would I evolve? Well, we have some evidence here. This is a beautiful thing. It's got it gradual. I'll tell you one thing, the creationists are right on this. It wouldn't just appear in nowhere. They got that right. They, you know, it's like a stop clock. It's going to be right twice a day. So but how would it have evolved? Well, we can look at animals that exist now and see animals that have... There's not a lot of animals with eyes, and they tend to evolve from animals that had eyes, like cave dwelling fish come from animals that had eyes. So we've got to find something on an animal that looks... that's like a very primitive... Primitive, again, it means old. It doesn't mean... Complicated, not complicated, or not modern. It just means not modern. So primitive is there's no value. And I'm talking about lizards! So don't get all moral with me. We're protesting for lizards' rights. So, got the back of a lizard. A lot of lizards have this. A lot of reptiles, I guess, that are termed lizards in the beginning. A lot of reptiles have on the back of their head a patch of skin that is light sensitive. They aren't seeing from this patch of skin. All it's doing is sending information to their circadian system about when the sun has come out and when the sun has set. In other words, it's resetting and resetting their circadian clock. That's all it's doing. Okay? So we know that can happen because it exists now. And we can imagine that very primitive animals this would be a real advantage. Because the first animals would have eyes. Right? This one wouldn't have eyes. But then these guys show up that have perhaps a sensitive patch. They'll be able to, there's a wonderful, if you ever watch the, you know, the Walking With series, watch Walking With Cavemen, watch Walking With Monsters. It's about pre-dinosaur. It's before the dinosaurs. It's the first life on Earth. There's some really creepy stuff out there. There was. The world wasn't the same at all. Okay. And it shows what it would have looked like instead of looking through something like this, which you wouldn't see anything. You would just detect light or not. What if we go to a next step and make this a pit? Now we can detect direction. Not very well, not like we can, but now we can detect direction. Right? Because if the light comes from this direction, it's going to hit here, versus this direction, which is going to hit here, this direction is going to hit here, etc. 
we're going to get a pretty fuzzy image. In fact, you'd see a really fuzzy shadow. That's really all you do. But you'd kind of see. It wouldn't be anything qualitatively at all like we see. You've got to keep that in mind. What's the next step going to be? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out that we've got our pit. You'd want to protect this. You can see the advantage in having some skin over top. Probably some skin that's clear, so the light can get through. Right? I think we can see a next step here. Where that becomes a lens. We can focus. And now we got eyes. It's not as well as we do. But now it's a matter of fine tuning this stuff. It's a matter of getting different receptors for different kinds of light. It's a matter of putting receptors in certain places. It's a matter of routing this information to the right part of the brain. By the way, the place that that routes to in these lizards, in these reptiles, is right above your optic chi their optic chiasm where the optic nerves cross. So we know that these proto eyes go to, towards where the, vision, to the, where the visual uh, information eventually ends up. Richard Dawkins was asked once, what, what's the use of half a, you know, what good is half an eye? He said, it's twice as good as, you know, it's, it's, it's half as good as an eye. It still provides information. It still provides information. Okay, questions about that? Now, by the way, our kind of eye with an accommodating lens and the ability to look around, right, is only one way to, for all eyes to evolve. This is about humans, but in insects, you get compound eyes, right? So you get like a whole bunch of eyes in one eye, and then they can compare the, the, the of hundreds and hundreds of images on all these little, the, the eyes that make up the compound eyes. And that can, that can show them direction. All right. Uh, taste and smell are interesting. Um, smell is the oldest sense. Uh, chemical, it's a chemical sense. And it's probably, we know it's the oldest sense in us, in like our line, and us being uh, animals with backbones, because it's wired differently in the brain than every other sensory system. Everything else goes through the thalamus and a human, for example. Our smell doesn't. It goes right to our olfactory bulb, which is right by our hippocampus, and our amygdala, which might explain the difference in um, the qualitative difference between smell memories and other kinds of memories. So smell is good uh, because it's going to detect things we want. Food and mates. Right? So it's going to be advantageous to have. And as much as we sit here, you know, people, I don't know, people are weird. Well, we don't see that well compared to other species. Actually, we see better than almost every species on the planet. Oh, we don't smell very well. Yeah, that's true, but I mean, you know, to a, to a hound? No. But you get down on the, on the floor, you'll be able to smell different smells too. We live up here, we don't live down there. Right? 
You get down on the ground, you'll, you know, or on a couch, put your face on a couch, you'll smell old farts. I mean, it's the way it works, right? <laughs> um, it's also, we can detect about one part per 10 billion. That's pretty impressive, actually. That's impre more impressive, usually, than most kind of detection systems for chemicals. We just don't use it that much because we don't live in that smellier world because we're up here, right? So the nice thing about smell is, the interesting thing about smell, rather, is that it's a, it's a chemical sense. So what that means is there are all kinds of different receptors, literally in your nose, that um, chemicals bind to them, and they send information to the olfactory. So when you smell farts, actually, there are fart molecules in your nose. Just remember that. When, when your friend pukes beside you in the car, that's always fun. Isn't that the greatest thing in the world, too? <laughs> It's like, you're not my friend anymore. And you smell the vomit, that's actual vomit in your nose. Just remember that. A little creepy. But it's a chemical detection system. Makes sense to be able to smell those things. By the way, there is no culture in the world that likes the smell of vomit or the smell of poop. Those are things that we shouldn't like because they're poison. There's no, oh, that's all dependent on your culture, your upbringing. No, it is not. No, it is not. Okay, this is interesting. Um, women can detect attractiveness in men, and attractiveness tends to go with symmetry. So, what you do is you have volunteers to. Sweat into a clean T-shirt. So you give them a clean T-shirt and you have them ride a usually an exercise bike or something like that, or a treadmill. Enough that they're going to sweat some. And then you take a sample, you cut, you cut the, the armpits out, and you put it in the ball and you close it. Science. <laughs> and then you also take pictures of their faces. Okay. So you match subject A up with his armpits. Subject B up with his armpits. Then you have women smell these bottles. And you ask them to rate, to order them from pleasant to uh, most to least pleasant. I'm not saying they all go, ooh, I like this guy's armpit smell. But, as I think we would all know, some people have worse smelling bodies than others. It's a thing. Now, by the way, the guys on these experiments that day, um, they can't have worn any deodorant. Right? We can't have that. We can't have that interfering. Uh, so you can never use high school students because of the Axe body spray. <laughs> so, it's a first year student's even like that stuff. You know that smell like? Right? One day, I actually, you don't have to think of halfway to school, I forgot to put deodorant. And that's, that's why I have deodorant in my office. <laughs> you ever need any? Kidding. <laughs> for me. Um, but I remember thinking, I got out of the, it was the first week of school. And there's all the first year students now running around acting like idiots wearing t shirts and, and saying, it's frosh. And I got on the bus, I thought, why don't you just lift my armpits? Maybe just run them on this guy here. He smells so much like Axe body sprays. And then I thought, it would be so gross, it would almost be over again. Um, so this is what happened. Now we have women smell and they rate them. And guess what? Women rate the pleasantness of a guy's smell. And it correlates really highly with how symmetrical their features are. 
which tends to be one of the many ways that, that, that people rate looks of each other. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Now, you might think, well, why would symmetry matter? Symmetry tends to indicate no developmental issues. It tends to indicate no health issues. Okay. Right? If you got one eye up here and one eye down here, there's some developmental problem. <laughs> right? Um, mothers can recognize the smell of their own baby's poop. Newborns. By the way, I mean, a bunch of, I don't know, many of you guys probably have kids. Um, oh, wait a second, you got a kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said on Facebook, you kid. So, when babies are first born, I'm not talking about two year olds, because there's people meat and it's, it's turds. It's like shit. It's good. But I'm talking about newborn babies. Now, the first couple of times we wore baby poops, it's really disturbing because it's um, <coughs> basically getting all the stuff that we're getting through the umbilical cord out of their system. It is gross. It looks like tar. It's horrible. But after that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not good. And you're sitting there thinking, this was a mistake. <laughs> I probably never should have had children. No, I just got dads do it. Oh, wow. Your dad's a good man. Oh, no, no. Her oh, dad. Oh, your dad. Because that would be better. Make your dad do it. I love it. Um, <laughs> Because he finally changed the diapers in his life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that generation. Oh, that's good. Way to go. So he's okay. Good. That's good. Okay. So after those, that's about not, uh, 36 hours. After that, things get kind of normal. But of course, all they're eating uh, is milk. And if you breastfeed, it's just human milk. And if it's formula, it's formula. Basically, and this is going to sound weird, but baby poop doesn't really smell that bad. It smells like burnt sugar. Yeah, that's a little. <laughs> it's, it's mostly it's, a, it's it's basically almost a, I wouldn't eat it, but it's like a caramel flavor. Smell? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not eating it. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's like Starbucks. It's a latte. It's a salty caramel latte. It's a baby shit latte. So that's a pumpkin spice baby shit latte. So. The interesting thing about it is it actually isn't that gross. That's the first thing. I mean, again, I guess Jessica, we're probably the only people here that know this, but it really isn't that nasty. It's messy and sticky because it's mostly caramelized sugar. Uh, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not poop. They're not, you know, firing out little turds yet. And they, when they start eating human food later on, you know, when they're just eating... When they're about two and they're eating exactly what you eat, then it's like, oh, well, you just learned to crap on the toilet. <laughs> it's a whole, you going through that yet? Uh, yeah, through that? yeah it's, it's a wonderful day when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah it's great. It's great. Suddenly, also, spend money on diapers. Yeah, however, it's made up of the amount of money you spend on groceries and cigarettes. For me, it's like, for our family, it's a victory if it's under 300 bucks a week for groceries. For, for adult size appetites, right? So it's like, they go two hundred eighty-three dollars. Like yes, <laughs> that used to be the amount of money for a month. Anyway, Mother's Day. So again, you have a newborn, but a week old. We're talking about a week old now. So we know the meconium, um, I think is what it's called, right? Is out of the system. Um, and now we're talking about this just basic newborn baby poop. You have them pooping again. You do a diaper, a cloth diaper. Take a sample, and you get like ten mothers in a room. And they, they get to smell each of them, and moms, about 90% correct, can detect their own baby smell. 
And we are, by the way, here we are, just broke my hoodie. The zipper. Oh, that's a piece of crap. Sucks. I paid nothing. Someone left it at my house five years ago, so I took it. Um, <laughs> we don't know who, though. They just showed up at our house one day. We asked people, they thought, well, if it's me, I'll take it. Um, again, we're talking about controlling for things here, so we have the same diaper for all the kids. They, they don't use the baby powder. For that day, uh, no other products like that are used to make sure that never, nobody, uh, that they've all had a bath with the same soap. I mean, you control everything. It's proper science, right? But the amazing thing is mothers are, are incredible with this. Dads are better than chance, but they're not like the moms are. And that doesn't seem to matter if the dads do have to be changing and the moms do have to be changing, which is pretty common nowadays. Moms seem to be able to detect the smell of their own baby. Wow, that's pretty cool. And you can't tell me that in modern Western industrialized society that that's something our culture has taught. Moms are hooked up that way. Dads are better than chance. Dads, it's probably learning because they're around the smell of their own kid. But moms, they're, they're, they're wired up that way. Now, taste. Uh, we basically can detect five flavors. Uh, salt, sweet, sour, bitter, and umami, or MSG. We might detect carbohydrates, too. There's some controversy in the literature that there may be carbohydrate receptors in the tongue. By the way, the idea that different parts of your tongue have different concentration of receptors is a complete and utter crock of shit. Just simply isn't true. We were all taught that, by the way, weren't we? What? I think he had one in a high school textbook. Oh, of course you did. I've seen it. You know, I had it in a university textbook in, in first year uh, in psychology. Of course, that was ages ago. My God, that was 30 years ago. Holy shit, I started university in 1984. Right? Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, my, my intro book, which is a great book, actually has that diagram of the tongue. It's wrong. It's wrong. It, it, it's a good story, but it's wrong. But what do we tell us? This all makes a great deal of sense. So, salt, we need um, sodium chloride. We actually need sodium and chlorine um, to live. Our brains run on sodium. Sweet, well, sugar, that's energy. That's energy. So these are two things we're going to like. Salt and sweet together. Here's salt and caramel, baby poop like that. Okay, sour and bitter are going to be things that we aren't going to like, as a rule. Sour things are acids, and it's not good to pour acids into your body. Have you ever heard about, oh, what are they called? Uh, something, it's not Wonder Berries. Is that the name? It's a kind of fruit, and it takes it, it shuts down the, the, the sour receptors. It's, it's a real fruit. It's a real thing. Um, so you can eat a lemon like an orange, and it's apparently delicious. And you can drink pickle juice. And then you can end up with ulcers in your mouth from all the acid you've been putting in your mouth. And that's what happens to you if you very carefully. It's used a lot in like molecular gastronomy. Um, so you give a person one of these berries, 
as part of a course, and then they're eating all this exceedingly sour food, except they're not tasting the sour parts anymore, so they're tasting it. That's usually the last course, by the way, because it lasts an hour or so. I got a Eddie What the hell are they called? What? You can buy them here? Yeah, yeah, you can buy these. You can mail it. You are online. But yeah, it's a real thing. Somebody gave me Maddie one year for. I think it was Maddie. It was somebody else. I know somebody else had them. I think Maddie had them. It drives me crazy. I know that it grows and stuff. It's totally legal. It's not like it's a little product. Problem is, you don't want to go, well, I'm maybe 18 and lemons. Because you'll end up with your having lesions inside your mouth. You shouldn't eat too much sour stuff because sour stuff is an acid. We taste acid as sour. Acids aren't inherently sour. Bitter things are poisons, typically. What do we get bitter from? We get bitter from herbs. Right? A lot of herbs, if you have too many of them, actually will do very big, bad things to you. Right? You don't want to eat a pound of rosemary. Or thyme. Now, why do we taste MSG? Oh, sodium glutamate. Because um, that's the flavor in meat. It's also the flavor in cheese, uh, tomatoes. By the way, for all you people who go, oh, I only eat MSG free food. I guess you don't eat tomatoes then, eh? No cheese? But a friend who's thinking he's claiming he's allergic to MSG. By the way, nobody is. Nobody's allergic to MSG. And you know you're not having a reaction to MSG. Well, unless you make you thirsty, hmm? I have a bag of it at home. I use it for food. You buy it at the bulk bar. Let me get those berries. Um, but it's the flavor in meat. Or umami, it's the Japanese word meaning flavor, deliciousness, I think. Yeah, please. Um, people call those berries miracle berries. Miracle berries! Thank you. Did you look that up? Yeah. Well done. I was going to say, if you didn't know that before, I just thought you piped in now, that's pretty sad. But if you I looked it up, I'm impressed. I wanted a week ago, so okay. that's why I was like, it starts with an M. It's, okay. They're really neat. They're little tiny things, too. Yeah. And it's used a lot in sort of trendy new cooking, uh, either at the very beginning of a meal, but then you're doing a tasting menu that's going to be four hours long, or at the very end. You know, So you eat something like a piece of cheese, and now all the bitter notes are gone from a piece of really sharp blue cheese and it tastes like you're eating ice cream it's a totally it, I really want to try this probably should get some we do a big dinner at Christmas Eve we all cook different stuff we're all into cooking right? and uh, I think we'll guess definitely get some so yeah MSG the other thing um, glutamate by the way is the most um a couple things. People say, well, glutamate in high concentrations uh, is a neurotoxin. Uh-huh. That's true. If I put, if I injected your brain with a couple of thousand grams of anything, actually, at that point, but too much, you can get a neurotoxicity kind of reaction to a glutamate. There's no doubt about that. But the glutamate in your blood doesn't pass through the blood breaker, so it's not going to affect you if you're eating MSG. Secondly, Say they're allergic to monosodium glutamate. Uh, it's a simple salt of a, of a glutamate molecule and sodium. If you are allergic to monosodium, monosodium glutamate, that would mean you're allergic to glutamate, which means you are allergic to the most common neurotransmitter in your brain. So therefore, you are allergic to your brain. 
and a delusion of sodium, you know, then you're in real trouble. Because then you're allergic to tears. Because you're salt in your tears. That sounds like something somebody would say, doesn't it? I'm just allergic to tears. <laughs> so why do you think, like I said, your sna- why do you think snacks are so tasty? Why do you think, they don't make uh, really bitter, sour balls as snacks? I don't think. It's probably a President's Choice product, right? <laughs> Memory of poisonous acids. But think about uh, chips. Salt. MSG. Now, again, the idea we have a carbohydrate detect- detection mechanism, which would be very well. But again, it's kind of controversial. This is a new one. Uh, again, when I took intracyte, nobody knew about Imami receptors. Right? But there's an interest, there's, a, there's a reason that things like cheese and tomatoes and soy sauce are, are every culture, pretty much, has something they eat that's full of MSG. It's just that they don't have it in powder form. They can sprinkle and stuff. I put MSG on popcorn. <laughs> just a little, just a pinch. Too much, uh, too much MSG is unpleasant because it, it doesn't have a good flavor on its own. The crystals, they just enhance flavors. Okay. But it's, the, it's in mushrooms too. So if you're a vegetarian, you can still go with your mushrooms and your, your uh, tomatoes, a lot of your cheeses have MSG. I have a friend over at his house and I said, well, I'll go there because you guys uh, stay here. Oh, remember I'm allergic to MSG? I said, oh, okay. And I wasn't going to be a dick and say, no, you're not. So I just made things. And I didn't use anything that uh, I went to, I went low sodium things, which means, usually just means no MSG. All kinds of stuff. But then, of course, I cooked all this stuff that had MSG, only had natural, actually occurring MSG in it. Oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten. I didn't say anything. I'll tell them in about five years. <laughs> So other animals may taste things differently. Probably not. Probably not. And this is why we can we can confuse our system, uh, our, our taste system, with something like um, I keep wanting to say uh, acetaminophen, <laughs> aspartame, um, because it tastes sweet because it binds those receptors, but it isn't sugar. One of the things that happens here is that. Perceptions, perceptual and sensation systems drive evolution. Many of you have heard me talk, tell the story of moths and bats. I'm not going to tell it again. But the idea that the moth can detect where a bat is, excuse me, and fly away, make a 180 degree course correction based on where the, the bat is, sending out an ultrasound, is a pretty amazing thing. That, that sensation system in the, in the moth is simply a bat detection unit. It's got nothing else to do. Um, guppies and prawns is a great story. Guppies, you know, guppy, did you know that guppies actually do live in the wild? It's not like hamsters do live in the wild. It's hard to believe because we mostly think of them as living in the pet store. Uh, guppies live in South America. Uh, they're uh, in, in the uh, yeah. Huh, who knew? Now, guppy females prefer red-colored guppies. The red of the guppy, you're just thinking, I've never seen a red guppy. There is a red morph. And if you give a female a choice between a, a sort of orangey-colored guppy, the one we think of, 
and the red got me. They, they want to mate with the red. They're like, hello. <laughs> Is that your dorsal fin, or are you just glad, glad to see me? But, the <laughs> ventral point of door. Anyway, I, I don't really want to know about that. There's a thing. If these, where do you see red ones in the wild? Pretty rare in most places. There are some lakes where you see them, and the only the reason you see them there um, is because there aren't any prawns or prawns are like shrimps, but they they're like shrimps with claws. So I'm talking about big ones, big delicious ones. They feed on guppies. So we hardly ever see the red morph, and the females prefer it. The red one doesn't show up, and it only it will show up sometimes. Uh, it'll take over very quickly if there are no prawns around. But you don't get any red ones almost anywhere in the wild, and that's because, guess what? Color raw, uh, prawns see better than any other color. Yeah, red. So pre the predator-prey thing. So evolution is affected by others' abilities, too. Why do we see in color? That's a good question. Why? Because not all apes eat the same color. But we do. Well, we pro probably, well, I'm pretty sure we evolved from apes that lived uh, a lot, ate a lot of fruit. And detecting the ripeness of fruit, it's pretty easy to do with your eyes compared to other things. So it's an arms race. And evolution's always an arms race. Questions? Should stop there and we'll um, do this last slide next time. Just turn it into regular time. And then we'll talk about consciousness. Thanks, guys.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.